0: All right, will you join me in Revelation chapter 21? Revelation 21. Kind of excited because not to finish the book, there's that sense of like, yes, it's been a sweet journey, but it's everything has been building to this, if you would. We 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 started there in chapter 1 as as Jesus appears to the apostle John on the island of Patmos and then reveals these truths and and makes known the things that are to come the things that were taking place at the time that uh, John received the message there on the island of Patmos the time the things of the church age but then as the church is removed brought taken up raptured into heaven Then we see, as we work through after chapter 4, after the church was raptured, then the judgment of God poured out on a Christ-rejecting world. And it was, I think maybe you could agree, it was a little uh, painful, if you would, in our sensory element from relationships and stuff to go to read through that. Even though we know we won't be there, we know there's many who have rejected Christ and will go through that particular period. And many will come in that period, will, will... reject the living God and spend eternity separated from him. Now many, many we know from our study through that will also realize and come to an understanding of the invitation of grace and come into a right relationship with Jesus Christ during the tribulation. And so as we kind of work through that and then we've seen the the point where Satan, the devil, was bound for a thousand years and then that thousand year millennial reign Came to an end. There was the great white throne judgment of those who have rejected Christ. And as we're now in chapter 21, verse 1, and I want to read verse 1 through 8. I know we covered it last week, so I'm going to go through with some brevity. We're just going to pick it up there because we were going to roll through on into the rest of the chapter and into chapter 22. John is sharing what God is showing. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God Himself will be with them and be their God. So here he's describing this scene that he's taken, he's just you know kind of absorbing, if you would, because you know, like I say, the millennial period is end ended, and now this new heaven and a new earth. Uh, uh, I have the, like we're going to see here in a little bit how Jerusalem is going to be descending down upon Earth, and you know, there's been a lot of questions and a lot of attempts to try to figure out how's this all going to be. And we're going to see here in a little bit one of the perplexities in figuring it out is we try to find something similar to the natural realm and then kind of elevate that to grasp the supernatural reality that's going to be. So in other words, we just don't have an experiential, something we've experienced. We don't have something like that that we can say, oh, it's just like this. And then we've read through this particular Book of the Bible, and you see there are times that there's trying to give us some comparison and show. But you'll see, as we even caught last week, the description of this new heaven, new Jerusalem, new earth, this description of it speaks more of what's not there than what is there. Because what's what's referred to as what's not there, those are things we know. Let's look at them. It says in verse 4. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And you think about that, you know, much of what we wrestle with and struggle with is capsulized in that particular verse. The tears are because there is death. Sorrow, that overwhelming realization of reality, which oftentimes leads to an element in even varying degrees of depression because we realize just the things of this life and how things are. We experience the loss of a loved one. We we know people that are hurting and suffering and going through hardship. And it's just hard sometimes to even maintain the right attitude, even though the Lord's with us. And we're aware that's just the result of this world that has rejected, humanity rejecting the living God. And because they've rejected the living God, they've experienced the consequences of that. And we'll touch on it as we get into chapter 22. And so these things we're talking about, they're not going to be in heaven. There will be no more sorrow. I can't even think of what that would be like. Because if you're living in a moment like right now, maybe... You know, you're coming into summer, things have been going well, the bank accounts are looking good, uh, you know, family's getting along, everything's doing good, you know, the cat hasn't coughed up anything, everything's happy, you know, in your world, and it's like, oh, it's all right, you know, that's good, that's good. But you also then hear the report, oh, man, I didn't, oh, man, I so, Man, that was a terrible accident. Oh, how could people do that? How could they shoot people like that? How, you know what I mean? And then you're just like, guess what happens? Because that's the way of this world. But we want to remember, and that's why he tells us in advance. Because see, we're looking forward to this, and the context is John is receiving it, but he too has kind of been moved forward, so to speak, to experience it. But he's going to be back on the island of Patmos, and he's he's told, don't seal this, don't hold this. Don't seal what I have already revealed, Jesus would be telling him. And you're going you're to write this down and to take this, and, and which is why we have it. Because he got to go forward and see this, the things on earth and the things even from the abuso, the abyss, open up. You have to see the things in heaven, and it's almost like all these things simultaneously. And then he comes back to his point 2,000 years ago, plus, on the island of Patmos. And he's got to be encouraged, like, man... Because the guy had been boiled in oil, and and basically they tried to kill him, and he just didn't die. So like, what are we going to do with this guy? We've got to punish him somehow, but he won't die. And they literally exiled him, if you would, to the island of Patmos for quite a while. So let's cruise along here as we consider also some things out of verse 5. Well, actually, we read through these first eight verses. Now he says, speaking of Jesus, then he who sat on the throne said, behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, write, for these words are true and faithful. I wonder if John's like, kind of mouth open moment, because he seems to have a few of those. And it's like Jesus is saying, I pick up the pen. <laughs> I got a few more things I need you to write down and pass along. Because it's like you say, listen, you know, and I think it's also just for you and I to remember, these words are faithful and true. They're meant to be held. They're meant to be received. As they've been revealed, they're meant to be taken hold of. And he said to me, verse 6, and It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So as I've mentioned, when we're reading this, is that the uh, battery thing, Greg, or no? Yeah, just if you want to, I'm going to mess with the cable here just for a second. Find it in my pocket. Take it out of my pocket. Throw it on the ground. Stomp on it. The Fonzie Fix. All right, maybe we can try that for a little bit. I can switch to this one if we need to, but we'll try that for a bit. The beginning and the end, we looked at that. Jesus is saying, listen, you need to know, we need to know. Yeah, let's just switch to this one. I love this one so much, though. I really have a hard time saying goodbye to it. So, All right. John is in chapter 21. He didn't put the numbers in. We did, or someone did. The millennial reign has ended. Here he's looking at this new heaven. But he's writing to an audience that's not over here. Is is, he tracking with me? Because this is what makes it confusing sometimes, is we kind of slip on the chronology. So he's writing about these things to happen, and we're right here, and he's over here. On the island of patmos so sometimes when we receive like comments or there's some instruction like verses seven and eight he's observing this is what taking place at least chapter 21 but he's also writing to the audience that's going to receive this letter called the revelation of jesus christ does that help you catch the context because see, otherwise you go well why would there be cowardly and, and these unbelievers and all these people over here in chapter 21? They, they won't be there. Because the great white throne judgment has already taken place. So this is the, you, you, the context you see. It shifts sometimes between you know Jesus speaking, an angel speaking, John speaking. And when we, realize, when we just absorb the context, like, okay, now that makes sense. This is how I see that. So moving on to new territory in verse 9... And one of the seven angels, and we're told which one, or not which one, but which group of the seven, who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues, came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. What's interesting about an angel is they're a servant of the Lord. And we know in chapter or, uh, 6 of Ephesians, when told about our own st- trial and, and battle and the various things we face, we're told that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and, and these rulers of darkness, the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. There's these, these, this, this structure, so to speak, in this battle and within that structure, there's different positions, if you would, and different things and responsibilities and roles. And so here we know this, one of these seven angels who had another job, which was to be dispersing the, the bowl or vile judgments, is also the one who says, hey, come over and do this. I say that because you know, our God is a God of order. Is that there is things happening, there are things happening that we're, 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 not, we're kind of oblivious to until something erupts, but there's just amazing things happening, and we too are given opportunities to serve the living God, to, to be a part of His purposes. And we're going to see that when, when John uh, makes a little mistake here in a little bit. Verse 10, and he carried me away, this angel, he's going to show him the bride, the lamb's wife, which we know that to be the church. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And she had a great and high wall with twelve gates and twelve angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. So now he's describing this new Jerusalem. God's city, the heavenly city, the city of peace is how it's described. Now you wouldn't describe Jerusalem historically as a city of peace, agreed? You can't. What you could describe Jerusalem as is amazing, I think the city has been overrun and really even kind of flattened, so to speak, or at least torn up, like 37 times historically. It's just crazy like that it's even still around, that Israel is even relevant. Why is a sliver of dirt in the Middle East that has minimal uh, square footage, basically, it's not, just that, it's not that big, right? I, I mean, maybe mass isn't so important, but I'm looking like this isn't, it's just this little spot over here. It's a little sliver you can cover with your pinky on most globes. But yet, if you want to put your finger on that, that's the pulse of the planet. Functionally, everything measures from Israel. And for some reason, God said, this area is mine. And I will put my people in this area and I will have my city. And my city will be an eternal city by name. The, the, the earthly city, Jerusalem, won't, won't continue. It's all going to come apart. We know from last week's study that according to Second Peter, it's all going to dissolve in an instant, which I think is where, where God is going to just take what we know about molecular structure, what, he, what we know about this earth, and he's just going to turn it loose. You know, there's a th- what's that thing called? What's that thing that's really destructive? Uh, atom bomb? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that that is an example of when men try to mess with something and we see how powerful that is. But what if the designer just flipped a switch and nothing was held together the way it's held together? And everything was just reset. Everything, heaven and earth, which I believe is what will take place. And then there's this new Jerusalem and this new earth. He's describing, I believe, what his design has always been. I don't think it's a reaction in any sense. God has always known the reality and the choices of humanity. It's been in his knowledge from the beginning. And now we're being told this is how it's going to be set up. Here's this, not just how it's set up, John is seeing it. He's seeing it descending. And as it's coming down, is, is this, you know he's describing it. And we see there in verse 14, Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city. It was used in that time. It was like about a 10-foot-long reed that they used for measuring and uh, for architecture and various things. And they went to measure the city, its gates and its walls, the city is laid out as a square, its length and is, is as great as its breadth. And as he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs, its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is of an angel. The construction of the wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold of like clear glass. Let's stop there and just to go back to that. Description of the city in verse sixteen is laid out as a square, and some would describe it as a cube. Trying to grasp the the imagery we have, primarily right here, considering even some passages in Ezekiel and even a couple in Isaiah that kind of have. Okay, is that this? How does this fit? So they see it as a cube in shape because it's all equal sizes. But another person, another scholar who studied this, suggested it could very well be a pyramid in shape, where it's the same, but then you know kind of tipped in. One other one, which is respected, and I believe is certainly worth pondering, is it's a cube within a crystal sphere. So this crystal sphere is where the Jerusalem, the city, is inside of it. So I just think, we see some amazing architecture in this world, wouldn't you agree? There's been some amazing things. There's even been some that are kind of like Wonders, You know, they're like, well, how did they do that? And they're, we're confounded, quite honestly, sometimes how they pulled it off. How much more will be this eternal city? How much more will that be? Even to our heavenly bodies will we be enamored and captivated by what's there. Let's look in verse 18, where we see now the description. And it says, the construction of his wall was of jasper, uh, jasper is opaque. It's variated in colors. Sometimes it's brownish-yellow. Other times it's kind of a, a green-red or a gold-green. Um, we see, we'll see jasper again here in verse 19. You know, verse 18, the, the city was pure gold like clear glass. Our gold is generally not clear it's different it's it's of the minerals and the makeup of this earth. Sort of, but he's conveying there's a, a high grade gold that's clear if you would ironically we know in other passages that the cities are paved with gold and most of us when we think of that imagery we think of like little bricks little bullion cubes so to speak uh, high value 24 karat gold of course you know, and that's what God pays with. Because the, the thought is it conveys what's so valuable here is nothing more than asphalt in heaven. The most high value stuff here. What he's saying, what I think is even more interesting, is that that gold that would be there is actually functionally translucent. And, and it's clear, it's that, it, it, valuable. Right? But yet, it's also, we're going to see something else that it creates. Now, moving into verse 19, I want to touch on some of these colors. The Foundations of the wall were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. So there's multiple foundations and de- decoration. Really, I think it just adorned um, more than you know. We would than a structural sense. The first foundation once again was jasper. The second sapphire. The sapphires they speak of is hard, like a diamond uh, in comparison, but like a, a blue in color. The next one that we see listed there, the, the Um that is uh, an agate stone found in modern-day Turkey. Uh, it's, that, it's actually named after that particular city. Uh, emerald, listed there we know to be a bright green. Uh, Sardonyx, coming down into uh, verse 20, that speaks of, it's, it's, a, it's a red and a white kind of a, a hue or look. Um, after that, you have the the sardius, the sixth one. Sardius was, uh, was a jewel, it was reddish and even kind of it's described as a honey color. Uh, Chrysolite is transparent stone, but once again, kind of golden hue or a color. Beryl is uh, sea green. Topaz, yellow green, and yet. Um, uh, Pieces of yellow and green and transparent and translucent as well. Um crispa praise is medium shade of green, kind of a medium to mild pastel kind of look. Uh, jacinth is uh, the one we see there in the next, me hear, is a violet, and amethyst is commonly purple. So you think of these, this range of stones, and not only are they in the earthly colors and earthly uh, comparison, because th- this is what he's talking about, they're, they're beautiful to look at, but they're of great value. And this city is adorned with that, and I think combined with the translucent nature and the clear gold in perfect light, it's hard to even grasp what this all looks like, because as we're going to see, there's, there's no temple, it says in verse 22. Oh, I'm sorry, I, forgot, I skipped 21. The 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. So, Peter's at standing at where? The pearly gates. You ever heard that theory, thought? Silly idea, sign of thing. Well, that's probably where they get that idea—the pearly gates. Because there's, but that's interesting. It's not pearl in color. It's very specific. Did you catch that? Each one is made of one pearl. I'm thinking it's a really big one. I mean, it's a really amazing pearl. And and but you, know, you see what's conveying. You know, um, you remember the story of the pearl of great price, right? Which of such high? It conveys in this world, in this realm, things of high value. And God is showing that this, this city, Jerusalem, you know, is adorned. It's his city. It's his eternal city. It's so important to be um, maybe aware of, of, of what God is like. Do you realize in all theory, if you would, or human thought, God should have just done earth in grayscale when he kicked the guys out of Garden of Eden. Should have just turned the color off. Dim the lights, let them stumble around in their little gray zone because they're the one that messed it up. But guess what? The world we live in is beautiful. It is created in a way that appeals to our senses. I mean, we look at things and we're in awe. I remember years ago uh, at a um, leader's retreat and we were up in Garden Valley and we're just staring out the window at this just majestic mountain. There was snow on it. It was late spring, early summer. Everything was beautiful green. It was just... Not one person who's ever been there looked out that window and go, "Well, oh, that's kind of boring. You know, everybody is enamored. Honestly, there, it's, there's something about that creation, that God, God has created. There's certain scenes in certain settings that are just soothing. They just relax you, just by looking at them. And I'm thinking, God did that, even though we rejected Him, even though we turned from Him. And yet He created this world to be able to see... A glimpse and a hint of his creative nature, if you would. That he does things abundantly beyond what we would ever ask or imagine. And there's so much there that shows us the very nature of God. Now we see in verse 22, I saw no temple in it in this Jerusalem. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God illuminated it, the Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Kings of the earth speaks of the various nations that are represented there by being those who are born again. Because it wasn't just Israel that gets to go to heaven. It's actually more uh, specific and more broad. It, by broad, it included all nations, this invitation. But by specifics, it's narrow. I mean, you, you have to be, one must be born again. One must have a relationship with Jesus Christ to be in this realm that we're talking about, to be there. And so, you know, what a fascinating place. You, there's, no, there's no night. There's no nighttime there. For he is there, he is present, and we're told right there the city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine, for the glory of God illuminated it. His presence created the perfect illumination. And now you have this sea of glass, you have this gold which is transparent, you have these stones and all this stuff, and everything just, I mean, I don't, I don't even how, I can't even really Get there, thinking of how amazing this is going to be, and what it's going to be like, just to the visual side, because he, we won't have the same bodies. We, we won't have the same senses. We'll have a body, that a glorified body, that has much greater capacity, that's created for the eternal realm, the internal atmosphere, if you want to think of it that way, versus what we have now is created for this environment. And how much more amazing is it going to be when we can just, you know, be in his light. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. Now, why does it even have gates in the first place? Don't gates keep people out? And if it's heaven, you don't need to keep anybody out because none of the bad guys made it. Well, think of what has been conveyed with a city. I mean, these walls are, uh see, two, a cubit is 18 inches we just looked at that here just previously, 144 cubits. Uh, that would be 144 feet, but another thing, that's 200, and right around 200 and some feet tall. That's a big wall. So why does it have, see, once again, this image is being shown, that presents security. That present, pr- 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 shows protection, provision. A city doesn't have to be a just a defense. You see what I'm saying? And the same thing with the gates, you know, that conveys to people who are familiar with this reality. You know, you've read the Old Testament. You know how the cities were built and how they were protected and and how the battles took place. And so the gates are just, you know, hey, the gates are, you know, they're just how the gates are. Notice what it said. The gates shall not be shut at all. There shall be no night there. Well, why would you shut the gates at night? Anybody want to wander, get, throw a guess out? Because evil loves darkness. And there's no dark in heaven. I mean, you can, you'll see several passages that convey to us that, you know, those who are of the night, who like to do things they don't think they'll get caught for, they do it at night. It's evil. but There is no night there. And there's nobody desiring to do evil there. And so those things are really, um, they're in our fiber, our makeup, our reasoning. Have you ever went to bed at night and go, oh, I don't think I locked the front door? Well, because you're, you're just last minute. You think about it because this is the world you live in. You won't do that in heaven. You won't go, oh, did someone get the gate? There's no nighttime. It's everything. You know, do you realize that you won't get tired nor hungry. I mean, your body is going to be for that eternal realm. As A.E. Wilder Smith, I believe, is the one who was a brilliant scholar. I mean, just an amazing man. He suggested that when we're there, we'll be able to move at the speed of thought. Now, some of us are slow thinkers, so we're like, I don't know how fast that is. But <laughs> the thought is that you could just like, okay, I'm going to go beyond the rings of Saturn. And you would literally, you would just move about. And he draws a reference out of Jesus just coming into the, first he's with the guys at the road to Emmaus, and then he's somewhere else, and then he just passes through the, the room, that one particular upper room where they had the doors locked out of fear. Because right after the resurrection, he just shows up, hey, you guys hungry? Probably something along those lines. And they freaked out, because he, has, he was able to just pass through. His body was different, and I think that's a glimpse of what heaven will be like in these heavenly bodies. So we're reading about all this, and it's like, man, this is amazing. As we go on, we see in verse uh, 26, they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, but there shall, be by, there shall by no means enter in anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So you see, he's there, and then almost like he's been... Receiving from the Lord these other words to, to write down. And so he's speaking of the heaven. But then he's also reminding us who are here or those who are pre-rapture. Uh, John was just he, he was in an amazing place because he had seen the hand of God. He had seen Jesus resurrected. He walked with him before he was crucified. He's seen him and now he's even suffering for him. And, and he, he, he's, you know, he lived in this kind of world we live in, but he's seen these things, but now he's mentioning back over here, it's going to be, you know, that none of this is going to be there. It's a reminder. You see, if you don't catch that, there shall by no means be anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie. You know, we got to realize that, there, that isn't gonna, there won't be anybody there to do that. That, that wouldn't be heaven, agreed? If, if the door-to-door salesman still came by... What in heaven? You know, if there's these various forms of deception, manipulation, evil is not there. Let's move on to chapter 22 because he's now he's like okay, speaking of course this one of the seven angels that we read about back there in verse nine of 21, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. I I, people have asked me, you know. you know, you keep fish when you go fishing. Like, well, sometimes. But there's been times late in the summer when the algae and the moss and the bugs and the just life on the Snake River, and I get a whiff of that and I catch a fish, I'm going, I ain't eating that. I just throw it back. It's like, no, I mean, the water color's kind of murky. I'm like, no, I don't think so. But I go up to Anderson. And Anderson's a different dynamic. The Snake River's a slow-moving river from the east side of the state. By the time it gets here, it's collected some things. I go to Anderson, you have snow, you have Anderson. No, nobody in between, so to speak. It's, it's, if you've been up there, you know what I'm talking about. I grew up swimming in clear water. I can't get in dark water. It just bugs me. I don't know what it is. I think it's because it's smart. But anyway... <laughs> Up there is clear water, but it doesn't compare to this. It doesn't compare. Some of you maybe have, have been scuba diving or been in tropical areas where you, you see these amazing colors of, of fish and, and you know, marine life, and it's so clear compared to other places. What will this be like? This, this pure river of water, clear as crystal. I'm actually wanting to swim in it. It's just my my way of life. He's like, Man, that would be amazing to peer into that. In the middle of a street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So the tree of life, you guys remember where we first encountered that one? Yeah, the Garden of Eden. We'll come to that here in a little bit. Before we do that, I want to I mention something where we see the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation. Nations. Well, well, why would they need to be healed if they're in heaven? Why does the tree leaves? Are you tracking with me? But if we're in heaven, why does that need to happen? Well, the word there, um, uh, I think it's called therapeia. It's where we get our word therapeutic. And what it's speaking of is, is health giving. So when we read this that the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation, the health giving, it it it, it indicates, you know, nourishment, life. The, the, the leaves do not need to be removed or even touched. You know, the green leaves indicate nourishment and life. And I really believe that's part of the picture that's presented, that God, the tree of life, represents life. And, and for those that are there, they're not needing to be healed from the residual of their former life on earth. Because that's an element that ain't going into heaven. You will not have, God will do a, a DNA erase, and you will not remember any of that in that sense. But you will have this tree of life which indicates nourishment in life. And so, does that help you? Because if you look at it, it's like, okay, well, we need to be healed from What? But it's not healing, it's actually speaking of health giving. Verse 3, there shall be no more curse. Whoa, that kind of touches, sounds a little bit like uh, the whole tree of life thing we read about some time ago. Like Genesis chapter 3, if you want to journey over there with me. Let's go to Genesis 3. And it'll tie together with the tree of life, and with the curse, and even help us remember, although we're reading about heaven, the Reality of what happened in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 3, we'll begin in verse 13. Context. Uh, an offer was made, was accepted, was a really bad deal. Let's see what happened. The Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Many teachers have had fun with that, me included, passing the buck, blaming on someone else, but that's not actually accurate. That's a very simple, honest statement. The serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord said to the serpent, We know Satan, the devil. We know the one who, at this point in Revelation 21, is in the Abuso, he's not in the picture anymore. But here's what we know because of what he did. Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast on the field of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. Speaking of Jesus, it says, He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception, in pain, you shall bring forth children, and your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall be alongside you or rule over you. It's a, a misunderstanding on that word "rule." It literally uh, would be the husband will be with the helpmate, as you ever helped me as you studied on your own. I'm sure. So the woman, we know there is one of the consequences of rejecting God. It says here that your sorrow and your conception and in pain you'll bring forth children your desire will be for your husband so her desires for the husband then Adam then he said to Adam because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I, I commanded you saying you shall not eat of it cursed is the ground for your sake in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life Both thorns and thistles and it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the herb of the field in the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of you you were taken, and for dust you are, and dust to dust you shall return. So for the man, his, he's going to sweat and labor for food. and the wife's desire is for him to be home, <laughs> basically. And so you see this perplexity, this trouble that came in upon humanity? This is the curse that's referred to back there, that there is no more curse. This isn't there in heaven. I want to keep going, though, because as we see, and Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam and his wife the Lord made tunics of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest catch this, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore they got evicted. I'll just, that's to summarize. And because God did not want them eaten of the tree of life. Why is that? How horrible would it be to be eternally in this state you and I live in? Not born again. Because what I'm talking about this here is speaking of knowing right and wrong and lacking the power to do what is right. Dealing with the guilt of doing wrong and living eternally that way. It's in God's grace that he said, you're leaving this place. It was his mercy that said, mankind cannot stay here. And he actually appointed cherubim, which, remember, servants, angels, that's what they are. They're appointed to guard the tree of life. Jump back to Genesis with me. Or I mean, to Revelation with me. In Revelation chapter 21. As we see, there shall be no more curse. The curse of humanity was solved by Jesus Christ. He paid the price completely and totally. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. What an amazing thing it's going to be. What an amazing place it's going to be. Do you remember there was a copycat job done, well, many of them, the enemy of our soul, the adversary, as he's known, the devil. He actually made it so in this particular time called the tribulation, which is actually future for us. It's going to take place after we're gone. He made it to where you had to have a mark. Where was that at? On your hand or on your forehead? And here we see God saying, listen, his name is on their forehead, the occupants of heaven. It just shows that Satan just tries to duplicate everything God does. He is always trying, he takes sex and tries to make it like you could do, oh, you could do it this way and it'll still be pleasurable, it'll still be better, all this. I mean, that's, God has created sex with a purpose, with an experience that compares to nothing else in the human experience. He created marriage for what reason? Companionship and to glorify Him. And what's the enemy say in our culture, in our day? You don't need to follow those rules. Those are archaic, those are old, those are old fashioned. And, and, and I could use several other examples, you know, where we go, wow, he just copies it. He just tries to make it, and people buy the lie. They, they settle for the deception, and they say, okay, I'll try that. And then they justify their actions by disregarding his instructions. And it's, it's still, it goes on today, it goes on in the church, it goes on and on, and it won't go on there. It'll end. There'll be this mark where we are his and we'll gladly wear that mark, whatever it may be. I don't know if it's this new name, which we've read about previously. Let's consider verse six. And then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. Shortly there also speaks of promptly, like quickly. When it starts, it'll take place quickly. Verse 7, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the word of the prophecy of this book. You know, Blessed is he who keeps these words. And I don't believe it's to be restricted to this book. I, I know that's the context. But you'll not find another passage where you can say, Well, we only have to follow those prophetic words out of Revelation. We can set aside these ones in Ezekiel. We can ignore Matthew 24. We don't have to fail, follow. You see what I'm saying? Yes, it's very specific. He, you know, blessed is he who keeps the words of this book. But it's not exclusive to Revelation. It's the whole counsel of God to be aware of. Now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, see, that you do not do that. For I am your fellow servant, and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. What a great summary to his exhortation. Don't, don't serve another servant, John. And you know, I think we can get it, right? I mean, John is of this realm we're in. And he's been taken into the heavenly realm. And he's just like in awe, like, oh, man. You know, and, and God says, or, you know, this angel says, stand up, says, don't worship me. I'm just another servant like you. Worship God. Worship is an expression of love, it's, it's being in submission. Um, it's not just music. Music is a means by which we convey to our minds and express to God our, our, our belief and our feeling, right? It's not that the, the words are magic. It, 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 it's what's happening. And so, we, worshiping God involves, you know, you've heard me pray even that we would, you know, on Sunday mornings, I often pray, you know, we would worship through the study of the word. But the study of the word and the expression through music must be confirmed through the way of life and the way you live. And if you're not living, and you're going through the motions, and you find a pattern where you're just saying the words and looking good in the congregation and you know, kind of going along, and you're not living it, you're actually mocking God, right? I mean, isn't, wouldn't that be true? You're mocking because you're saying one thing and doing another thing, and, and what, how scary is that? I mean, I've read Acts 5. Ananias and Sapphira found a way to mock God. I'm just saying it doesn't work out that great in the long haul. It's a bad idea. Worship God. And I've asked my exhortation that we individually would learn to worship God. I knew I know how to worship. I knew how to worship when I started as a young Christian. Because I was so glad to be liberated from the baggage of sin. And I worshiped with freedom and expression. And then I realized it wasn't just the music. It was really how I worked out my life, my problems, my Temptations, my carnality, my old nature, worship became a living expression of a life of submission. And if we're not submitted to Him and we're just learning Christian ease, we're actually mocking Him. And it's really not a good idea. I'm just, that's probably, I will, I will classify that for tonight at least, the understatement of the evening. Verse 10 And He said to me, Do not Seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand, he was unjust, let him be unjust still he was filthy, let him be filthy still, he was righteous, let him be righteous still, he who was holy, let him be holy still well there 's a weird verse. How does that fit? Are you just keep doing what you 're doing? Just catch the context. These words were not to be sealed. you know Daniel, I believe was in Maybe chapter 12, 9, somewhere between 9 and 12. <laughs> um, he was told to seal up these words for the time is not now. That was a point in the Old Testament. And then there's a point where God opens up his word. You know, much of what we know about heaven and the details and the tribulation and the rapture and all these things weren't known to the Old Testament saints. Do you know that? They weren't known until God made them known. Through the Apostle John and through the angels, he just that's how how he did it, through this letter we've been reading. And so John is told, listen, don't seal these up. Don't set these aside. Now is the time to reveal these. And so then he says, you know, there's going to be sealed." And then it says, he who is unjust, let him be unjust still. If the words revealed so far have not been received, then just continue as you are you know, there's not a second chance or an additional way, additional way to be right with God. So you see in this first part, if you haven't responded, I mean, think about what has been said at this point in time. If you're carrying on unjustly, keep doing it. Because you're not going to get another invitation. You're not going to get a, 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 a Jesus 2.1. It, this is it. And if you didn't respond to it, then fine, don't respond to it. And that, it's not quite that, you know, in your grill, but it is, too. If we won't respond, to, if what's been revealed has not been received, then we're probably not going to change. And it's a really scary place. Because Jesus said, many will say in that day, oh, look what I've done. I, I've done this, and I've given in this way, and I've helped in this manner. And, and, and look at all these things I've done for you. And, and you remember the words out of Matthew, right? And the Lord will say to them, and he said, I will say to you, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I don't even know you. You learned the language, you learned the habits, you observed the patterns, but your heart was far from me. And you didn't even do it. So he's basically just continuing. But notice it didn't end there. Since you've received the revealed word, continue in it. See, the first part is those who have not received, but it's been revealed. And then the second part, let him be righteous still, who is righteous. We're righteous in God's sight by the work of Jesus Christ. Read Philippians. We're told that our righteousness is his righteousness given to us. We don't don't produce it. He who is holy, which means just set apart, continue to be set apart. You know, we know throughout this Bible or throughout this letter, uh, especially you've seen in the early part, even in the exhortation to the church, to overcome. To he who overcomes, I will give, God says. And that means just stay the course. It's not meaning you're going to have to get saved and then do all you can to stay saved. It's just basically you drew close to him when you were born again. Stay close because the time will come when people will start turning away. And, and, you know, when people turn away, they don't just leave the church and go to the bar and get drunk all the time. When they turn away, they stay in the church many times and they promote false doctrine. Their lifestyle promotes hypocrisy. They do things that seem to be okay. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's why we have so much instruction in the New Testament about false teachers and practical living and godly living. You've read that part, right? <laughs> that we're to put on the new man. We're to live in a new way. And if we're not, we're actually deceivers. And that's why we even have passages to speak of like uh, wolves in sheep's clothing. Well, why would, someone, why would there be a wolf in sheep's clothing in the bar? you dress up like a wolf and go to the bar. So you see, you see the analogy of the picture? You dress like a sheep because the, the deception needs it. So... We are, I think, in our, my exhortation here is just, you know, we stay the course with the Lord. Know you're obedient to him. Know you're walking with him. Know his voice. You know, you should desire to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Well, how can that happen? How can you have that statement? How could you receive that? It's really a simple statement. A servant follows the instruction of the master. A servant lives in a way that honors the master. No matter how painful it is, they honor the master. And so to do that, you you need to know the master's words and obey those words with the master's resources. You can obey the words of your own ability, but guess what happens? That's works. But when you obey the master with the master's resources... And he says to forgive. And you're like, I don't know how to do that. I like, say, I'll show you. He says to love that neighbor. But you know what? They are so loud on, at night. They are so. Love that neighbor with the love I put within you. The love that you now have. Let that love shine through you. Love that way. Now you're, you're going, okay. Now it's simple. How do you hear faithful? Obey the master with the master's resources for his glory and your joy. Amen. It's for his glory. Okay, maybe is, it, is it easy? No. Is it uh, pain-free? No. No. Is it important? Probably the most important. We're told in Hebrews 11, without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is God and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Like he, he said, "I will give you the ability, the strength, but you have to walk by faith. And, I, and you know we're, we're going to face some tough stuff in this world. I'm not being prophetic. I'm just maybe I'm a probability major, I don't know, <laughs> but it's just we're just told that that's how it's going to go. And if you've been just kind of getting even a hint of some of the news that's been happening for the last couple of years, you know this is no news to you. You know things are going have changed. And for those who follow Christ, they're going to change even more. And there's legislation being pressed in an aggressive manner that's targeting Christians. It used to be religion. you know. Politi- politicians oftentimes are uptight about religion. They're not as much anymore. It's Christianity they're uptight about. And we're going to see that manifested in ways we never thought it would be that specific. Because it used to be, you know, you could, they couldn't do that because even the squirrely group called the ACLU would join up and defend them because it was now you just never know what's going to go on. So but we read Revelation 21 and 22 because we know where we're going. We know what's going on. We know this is happening and I want to live. I believe you do too in a manner that honors God. You have been placed in this season and time without your permission. You've been placed in this season and time without filling out the forms ahead of time. God in his amazing wisdom and crazy grace has placed you and I to run the last leg of this relay of humanity and we're close on the finish line. And you got—you want the one running the last leg to run. You don't want them going, you know what, those other three guys ran already. I'm just going to walk it in. You, you see what I'm saying? That, that's, that's what Paul conveyed. I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection lest after having, you know, spoke of this gospel, I didn't live the gospel, I myself was disqualified. He didn't just beat the air and pretend like he was doing something. He lived in such a way that, my God, I just want to finish well. Let's pray. God, man, it's so amazing what you have set before us in this realm called heaven. What you've done for us to even bring us entry and, and to, to allow us to even be in such a phenomenal place. To be in eternity, eternal realm, and eternal bodies, and all that you've done in the future. But God, you did it here. You accomplished what your love declared. You died for our sins because you love us. And so God, may we let that soak in more and more. May we be compelled by love to give up our own opinion, our own determination when it's not of you, when it doesn't honor you. May we be compelled, Lord, to just fight the good fight of faith, not of our own resources, but may we be encouraged as we go through struggles and trials and battles. May we be encouraged that you are with us. You do not leave us nor forsake us. Your word is true. So may you be glorified. May you be honored in the way that we live. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.